Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Storybox podcast. My name is Jared Phantom, and I am your host. To all that are returning, or if you're a new listener, I just want to say welcome. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this podcast in general, but I know you guys are going to get a heap of information from this week's episode with my special guest, Maria Serena. Now, I've known her for quite some time now, and already every single time I talk to her, I always get something out of her. Like, she's in terms of information. She's a world of knowledge and she has so much insight into so many different things. Uh, The lady has seen and heard an absolute incredible amount. Um, And even we we don't even get dive into all the stories that she could possibly have told me um, on on this week's episode. But I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this one because it's to do with what causes mental health, uh, some strategies that we can implore put in place, sorry, to uh, help people that are suffering with mental health. Um, It is a topic of mine that I do want to spread awareness of uh, into the world. So it's really good to have her on and just really talk about it. And and we get into quite a bit of detail as well. Um, So uh, I hope you guys really get something out of this week's episode. And yeah, without me continuing to waffle on, I now introduce to you Maria Serena. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me on. This is the first time I've done a podcast. I've listened to heaps, so this is going to be interesting. Okay, well, my story is I've actually got um, a degree in social psychology and social research. So it's a bit of a broad term um, and I trade as a counsellor only because um, in Australia there's so many different rules to be able to trade as a psychologist, which is good. Um, but I really didn't want to go down that road. I really wanted to have more conversational kind of sessions with people rather than looking and peeling away lots of onion layers to find what was wrong with a person. So counselling really fit what I do, which is really look at what's right in a person regardless of their circumstances. So usually about 85% of what comes through my door is everyday relationship breakdowns, having difficulty socialising, anxiety, Um, and then we have about 2% horror, you know, stories that are are pretty bad that you really have to hold it together as a professional to listen to some of the stories. Um, And then I think that whatever's remaining is just things that need a little bit deeper look at. So I usually refer those clients on. So counselling is a really good way to be conversational with people. And I think it's a really good place to be when some people are really struggling. Sometimes they come in for one session 
and that's all they needed. Um, they just needed to talk, to unload for decision-making. Sometimes it takes a lot longer. Mm. So, um, yeah, I love what I do. So thanks for having me on. And how long have you been doing it for? Gosh, I have been counselling for I think 13 years now. Wow. So many, many hours, many, many many clients and um, I work with all sorts. So I think my youngest client has been about four years old and my oldest client has been about 92 years old. Wow. Yeah. So broad range. Broad of range, ages. yeah, marriage counselling. Four counseling. years old, my goodness. Yeah, four years old, just a child that witnessed a trauma. Yep. And so parents were really diligent, brought them along. Thankfully the child didn't wasn't really displaying a lot of really deep issues but some parents are really prudent mm. um, and they just want to make sure. So, That's good. Yeah. And in your experience having heard and seen a lot of different cases in many different people, mm. how do you cope with the most extreme cases as a professional? Like what, you yourself, you must hear some crazy, yeah. crazy stuff yeah. on any given day, which is yeah. absolutely incredible on your yeah. behalf yeah. having to go hear that yeah. from other people. So yeah. how do you sort of manage it's, that's a really good question. Um, there's two ways. Because we live in such a secular world, we're really not allowed to talk about our faith and um, what keeps us going. So on a secular level, one of the things that I do to be able to cope with a lot of the things that I listen to is obviously try to have a glass of wine after a really big session and chocolate. make a phone call. Yeah, chocolate works. <laughs> um, I usually have a team of people that um, I can make a phone call to just to make sure that I covered that situation as best as I could. I have um, my own supervisor who's in Queensland and we talk to frequently and whom I run those past. But in that moment um, I really have to just let it go. I remember many years ago when I was in the beginning I got a phone call from someone that said, look, um, I have a gun to my head. Tell me why I shouldn't pull the trigger. And um, I remember that I was being supervised at the time and so the gentleman that was supervising me just looked at me with this look. I knew what I had to do but that was the moment where I had to do it. So I remember um, just closing my eyes and just praying and thinking, what, what, what do I do? And I could hear some children in the background and I said to her, oh, I can hear some kids. And she said, they're my kids. And I remember just having this strong feeling of talk about the kids. So I just started talking to her about her kids. How many kids do you have? Tell me about them. What are their names? While this is going on, my supervisor has put a trace on her call and I need to have her on the phone. At that stage, I think it was 45 seconds at mm. least so I could trace the call. So my hand's gone up. He's making the connection and I've got to keep her on the phone because if she hangs up, we've lost her. Start talking about the kids and um, she said she had three children and she started talking to me and I said I have a child as well and we started to connect. And then in that time the police arrived and she said the phone call went really quiet and I got very worried and she said, you called the police, didn't you? And I said, we did. So it wasn't me, it was we. We called the police and she said, they're at the door. I said, I need you to give them the phone because then this was going to make her open the door and there was going to be a connection where the police could come in. So she's, I could hear them knocking and she took the phone to them and I'll never forget it. The phone um, 
um, a gentleman got on the phone and he said, who is this? Is this from, I was at the Salvation Army at the time, and is this Mary, which was the name I went under? And um, I said, yes. And he goes, okay, you've done all you can here. We've got her now. Thank you. And hung up. And still to this day, I don't know what happened. I don't know if she went on to do that, but I know that she didn't that day. And so I decided that I had to think like that. I could only be with that person in the hour that I was with them. And I couldn't think about what was going to happen afterwards. I had to always think of that guy and think his name was actually Gary, how he handled that. Like it was really like a passing of a baton Mm. that said, you've done your part, now I'm going to do my part. And because the phone had been handed over, I knew that she wasn't going to do that that day. And you never hear it. You know, you never hear back. You never know. Um, you never sort of try and investigate. Well, or your instinct is that, and see, yep. when with anything to do with suicide, strangely, it's that it's it's got a real romantic appeal to it. Mm. People are fascinated by it. Whenever you hear about someone committing suicide or attempting, the first question they ask is how. You know, how did they do it? And it's something that comes out of us. So, you really have to train yourself to be able to, um, to not think like that or speak like that. So, yeah, so that's how I've dealt with the horror stories that have come through the door, that 2%. Mm. Um, And then really my my faith has been a key factor, you know. Um, That has really grounded me knowing that ultimately I'm not in control. Um, And But I can see how some professionals can feel that that's ultimately there and that's why there's a lot of strangely a lot of depression among mental health professionals as well it's got a massive turnover because they don't have anyone to unload onto so um the other thing that i do on a secular level that i started with at the beginning was when i go to my son's soccer game is that i'll position myself on the field very far from anyone else and scream my guts out (laughs) (laughs) which is horrific but it gets everything out and I am screaming and at him and at the team and whatever's going on. It's been really therapeutic for me on a secular level. Um, so, yeah, so there are ways. But as you go along, I think you, you sort of learn what you can and can't handle. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess some other ways to help combat that level of stress, you recommend exercise, oh, yeah. eating healthy. Yeah, there's um, amazing natural ways to be able to do that. So obviously a lot of people that get stuck in a rut um, get really depressed because it's the day is monotonous. There's there's nothing new. There's no challenge. There's no surprises. And so you get up at the same time, you eat the same thing, you walk the same road. Of course, it's going to get really, really, really boring really quickly. So changing things, even one change. One thing that I did when I was at uni was a study called Chaos Theory which was a study of why things go wrong, which is really interesting. It's mathematical and it actually tells you mathematically why things go wrong. Um, and I really like this subject because there's one um, theory called um, the butterfly effect and which was a theory that the flap of a butterfly wing in Brazil could cause a typhoon in Japan Um and so all the ripple effect, that one small change here is going to make huge significant change over there. So sometimes people come in and their problems are so huge 
it's too hard to see that. But when they mm. realise that if they make one change, even even getting up five minutes earlier, really, getting up five minutes earlier, not missing that bus, not getting in trouble, do you understand, that mm. that one change makes a huge difference over here. And all of a sudden a butterfly flap or a one-minute change is doable. So um, it's those little one percenters oh, that yeah. make a great big difference. Yeah, yeah, going for a walk, just making a change. Um, but I think that ninety percent of the mental health journey is stepping in through the door mm. or making that phone call. Um, that's ninety percent, truly, because when the, when people come here, I don't think unless people have come through parole, and I have people that come in off parole, and I've had security guards having to stand outside with them. They don't want to be here. They're ticking a box. But most people want to come here. They've exhausted every other avenue. So they're already a uh, blank slate. They're ready to receive something. So, um, yeah, that part of it makes it really interesting. And I really want to be able to make sure that people realise that it's not medication does work when things are really tough. But most of the changes that need to to offside a lot of the symptoms is is really just making a change in your life that decision mm. and so when you meet with someone that mm. you know has gone through a traumatic experience what's the first thing that's going through your brain usually when people make the first contact they usually give me some sort of idea of what i'm going into mm. um usually i can tell on the phone if it's pretty traumatic i usually ask them to send me an email or something that gives me an idea or a heads up about what's going on so that they don't spend their entire hour with me telling me a whole story and then not being able to come up with some sort of um, idea of how to move forward. I find that that's really tiring for people, especially people that have gone from mental health professional to mental health professional to mental health professional. Um, they're tired of it, you know, and so to, for them to email me or to text to let me know what's happened, by the time they step in, there's already some ideas on the table. And... Um, yeah, so usually they lead the way and when it's a trauma, it, the client leads the whole session. They will tell me by way of their body language and their posture um, where they want to go in this. Some are really open, ready. Some it's really, really hard. So how do you tell between those people that are actually really open yeah. by their body language? So what, usually, so do, they, yeah. what do they do? 90% of what we say doesn't come out of our mouth. Mm. That's true. It's true. Like you just watch people, you know, you can be talking to someone and they look like they're receiving what you're saying but they've got their arms crossed. Yeah. And their arms crossed means I'm receiving nothing that you're saying or hands on hips. I'm listening to you but I'm taking nothing in. Mm. So body language tells me a lot. So usually when I position myself in my rooms to be comfortable, that usually makes people feel comfortable. I usually face my entire body towards my client um, and that I'm, I'm open to receive what they have to say. Even things like showing them my palms um, is going to help people to realise, you know, she, she wants to receive. Ultimately, I, I want people to know I want to know their story and I don't want to fix them. I don't want to find what's wrong with them. I don't want to dig around in their brain, um, which is what people think going to a counsellor is. Mm. I really just want to know what their story is and and help them navigate through that time and that what's going on in their life so usually their body will tell me I can you know I've had small children come and say to me 
I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's great. Mum's obviously sent you. Um, at, by the end of the session, I usually can't get them to stop. So it's really just for them and I think it's important. I do a lot of telephone counselling as well but it's not as effective as face-to-face counselling. And the choice of a counsellor is just as much the client's as it is mine. Like I'm not superior. I need them to feel comfortable with me. I need them to trust me. If they've gone through a trauma, they don't want to come to someone that is just there for, you know, receiving the money um, or just another tick of a box. It's someone that's genuinely concerned. And the people that can really, really suss them out is the parole person, someone that's in jail. They can read you like a book. Mm. And I've had them sit here with their arms crossed thinking, you know, she's just like every other mental health professional. And within a few minutes I'll say, you know what, I can talk. This is safe. So um, I think it just comes with, uh, you know, being present. Um but yeah, being and also being yeah, yeah, being teachable too. That I can learn, that they teach me. That it's not about me having all the answers; they have them, mm. and it's really just me prodding them out. You know, um, I I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the solutions. I I I have all the the head knowledge. Um, I have the heart to help, but I I I don't. And um, I don't think I think within a few minutes, people really know that about me and I think that they can really think, hang on, she's she's wearing jeans, um, she's not all suited up, she's not making feel intimidated, you know, um, and she's not pushing it. And I think that especially people that will have a trauma, they will spend the first few sessions seeing can she be trusted, mm. you know. So that's I think that, yeah, that pretty much covers this, that. I guess other people, other psychologists and everything like that in the industry have made this misconceived uh, notion about the fact going to a counsellor or a psychologist has been quite a scary ordeal. Yeah, I don't think it's psychology um, as it is today. I think that it's from the past, Mm -hmm. the idea of seeing people in cages and getting warded and, you know, the shock therapy and, um, you know, terrible things that were having to pe- happening for people that were presenting with any sort of mental illness. I mean, even Christianity, shame to say, used to say that, you know, having a mental illness was some some ways demonic. Mm. So I still have people that come through my doors that have had what I call spiritual abuse where they've been approached their local pastor and said, you know, I have anxiety or I have depression. And they're like, well, you've got unconfessed sin and um yeah, we're still living with the stigma of that. So it's not so much the mental health professionals of today. I think we're still living with the overflow of past experience. And um, and I have lots of clients that come in here and say all sorts of negative things about other counsellors and psychologists, but I, I take that with a grain of salt. I really do because there could be someone presenting that about me to someone else. Mm. So um, I'm really thankful that we've got such a strong um group of people these people are passionate about loving other people um they really are it takes a lot of work um and they do give a part of themselves to it every day 100 yeah. yeah so you would need to being able to sit here and listen to other people's problems yeah. and issues and dramas yeah. and- but i think that somehow i think back even in my early childhood um 
I used to have all sorts of people unload on me, you know. Mm. It was just natural. And I never took offence to what I used. It used to make me feel really pretty special um, that people felt that they could. And so strangely it really, you know, fit with my love language and my love language was, you know, quality time and words of encouragement. So it actually just fit. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy that I've been able to live out not just what I like with my heart but with my head as well. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. And I guess going back in terms of talking about mental health, start going from the very heart of it, what do mm. you think in your opinion is, I guess, the root cause of people suffering with anxiety, depression and all other forms of mental illness? Look, I think that there's lots of different causes and because no two people are the same. But I think that the heart of it is a heart of hopelessness, mm. the idea of a situation being hopeless or a relationship being hopeless or a tragedy Um the idea of hopelessness, you know, um, and that we need to be able to have something that says there is hope. So the only way to counteract hopelessness is to provide hope. And so that's what I think that most underlying issues have, that idea of hopelessness. I can't get a job or I can't get a girl or I can't, you know, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, I'm hopeless. Uh, you know, I compare myself to someone else. And so th- I think that that's probably the underlying, if you ask me one m- root issue, it'd probably be hopelessness. But I also think that the underlying, what runs behind hopelessness now, especially in the last 20 years, is um, more of the teaching of of evolution and the fact that we really um, aren't unique and that we're just an accident, that we're really the result of time plus matter plus chance and that there's nothing deliberate about you, that you weren't, um, that there is no purpose to your existence. Um, you came from an ape and you developed over millions of That's millions right. Of years. And so you're you're an accident. So yeah. your nose is where it is by luck and your mm. eyes are the colour they are by luck. But it's really not true because your eyes are really a mix of what your parents are and uh, them you know, and going back the generations and your ears are the way they are because of someone in your family. So it it really reduces the value of the human being. Um, and when you know that you're unique and that you're special and that there's only something you can contribute and only something that only you can provide and a love that only you can profess, um, when that's removed, what is there of you? Mm. You know, you, you're easily replaced. I remember my my father was an executive of a, a very very large company, and he went to China, and they treated him like a god because he was from Australia and you know it was well to do whatever. He was horrified at the conditions of the people in the factory. They were covered in smoke. There was no occupational health and safety. He was horrified and then he walked into the CEO's office and he said the desk of the CEO was the size of the room. It was so majestic and it was so kingly. It overwhelmed my father and that he called my father over to look at the floor and you could see all the smoke, you could see the hundreds of people working there. And my father was shocked. He goes, what happens if one gets sick? Don't you care? And the CEO took him to another window that was looking outside on the road and there was a road 
with a line of people as long as the eye could see. And he said to my dad, if one of them gets sick, they are so easily replaced. And that's... That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And that when he told me that, I remember I was quite young, but it really showed me that if you have this belief system that people aren't intrinsically valuable, mm. that you aren't, you know, that you if someone has a car accident and you stop and you help them, they, they matter, you remove every essence of being a human. And so we have this hike in this kind of talk and the fact that there's no God will actually mean that we have to save the planet as well. So not only am I dealing with the fact that I can't make a friend, <laughs> I need to make sure that the world survives another 12 months. So it's only been in the last few months that we've gotten word to say that there's a new kind of anxiety. It's called mm. eco-anxiety um, and it's a true thing. I'm telling you, I've got kids that come and they're terrified, absolutely petrified where that the you, where world. Where do you think all that information comes from? Is it mostly from the media? Look, the media, of course, I mean 90% of the kids that come through here are kids that have very big social footprint. Strangely, I think it's happening in the education system. Mm. A lot of it, you know, um, teachers are pushing it um, and kids aren't able to challenge that with what they believe. Um, They're not able to challenge the idea that, you know, what proof do you have? Because it's like a theory. It's seriously a theory. If someone could show me that, you know, a bee evolved from something, show me what it evolved from, I'll I'll believe it. Mm. I'm, I'm serious, it's that easy. Just show me what it evolved from, what it looked like in the beginning and show me this and I'll be a believer. But they can't do that. Mm. You know, no one wants to actually put that. And the idea of evolution looks really good to a godless world. And um, they're so, trying to run away from the actual truth. They're trying to look for something sure. else. That's, well, it's a replacement. Yeah. And so, and it's a counterfeit. And so what it does to the younger community um, is it, it's such a place of helplessness. Like they can't save the world. I mean, the last I heard was it was 12 months or something that people were saying kids are going to kill themselves. Mm. Groups of kids are going to kill themselves. Kids are going to make packs to kill themselves. There's a climate change um, debate going on right now and there's a, 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 an activists all over Sydney at the moment I mean, what's going to happen if nothing changes? Like we look at this this beautiful little Greta Thunberg, seriously gorgeous little girl. She is so, so um, enraptured by this. She believes it. And why wouldn't you? You've got adults telling you. Why would you doubt the adults? She really believes it. And she's terrified. You can see it in every interview, in everything that she does, she's petrified. Mm-hmm. And so we've got kids that age, absolutely petrified, even younger, making um, packs to not have children, making packs to, you know, and they will start, you know, the suicide rates are just going to go through the roof because what difference does it make? They're just easily replaced, right? So, I mean, it's an argument that can, all sorts of people will have all sorts of arguments about what's going on, but that's that's my experience. And I think the saddest thing is to be able to, I've sat with people and I say to people, even criminals that come through the door and I, and I treat them the same as I would They're still human you. Being. Absolutely. Yeah. I treat you the same as, as if you were the Queen of England. If you come in here, the secretaries will get you a cup of coffee. They set the scene. They light the candles. They, <laughs> they you know, every human is of intrinsic value and um, that's that's I think that that's what's been lost. How do we show someone that they are valuable, yeah. that they are unique in their own way, but that's yeah. still 
special. Yeah. That's still an amazing thing. Good question. I think the hardest thing today is that we can't do that. The only way we can really do that is to live that way ourselves, that we live unique lives, that we live exceptional lives, that we are full of hope, that we know that every day is going to bring a new, not a new challenge, but a new opportunity. And that once people see that's contagious, like, where did you get that? Like, why do you feel like that? And, you know, um, that's probably the best way. And, um, you know, that, that is more powerful than telling someone, you know, um, why don't you do this or why don't you do that or why don't you try this, why don't you try that? I think we've gone past that. Mm. People aren't believing anymore. I think that when they see someone really living an excellent life, when they've got life overflowing, um, it's contagious. That's really contagious because if you've got one friend like that in a group of five, you know, the other four will catch up pretty quickly. But in the other way, if you've got one person in a group that's depressed, that brings everyone down. You know, I remember someone showing me a really wonderful example um, about that. And, you know, he was saying, stand on the table and try to pick me up and put me on the table. And I'm like, I'm trying with all my strength. I can't pick him up and put him on the table. He goes, okay, I'm going to bring you down. And I was on the table. He was so easy for him to bring me down because he was using gravity. Mm. I couldn't pick him up with all my strength. Um, and even if he was on the table, I could bring him right down. So it's easier to bring people down than to lift them up. Yeah. And that's why it's really important for us to lead by example. I think that's the most contagious thing. You know, when you see happy marriages, when you see kids that are happy, um, when you see families that are, are blooming and blossoming and when you see that, um, that's that's pretty contagious. You want to sort of have that same thing for you. Yeah, it's, well, it's that, possible. Yeah. It's possible. Like if they're doing it, why can't I have some of that? So it is very contagious. So I think that that's pretty powerful. I think a lot of it as well is to do with changing your mindset. Yeah. I think we live in such a depressing world from you, you hear things on the news, you see things on social media, and that that's all just part of this world unfortunately. But you yourself, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to think that way. You can think positive. You can say, look, I don't want to be influenced or I don't want to be affected by this. I remember for me in school growing up, we didn't have like we had phones, but they didn't have Instagram, Facebook. I remember when Facebook first came out, I got it in 2006 and that was a whole new world for me and seeing all the things that people post and having an opinion as well, thinking you knew what the world was and yeah. you just post whatever you want and sure. you had – so many people as well on Facebook absolutely like ripping into you for the things you said. Mm. And that, that was another form of bullying which just started to spiral out of control. And, and we didn't have, when I was in school, I went to a small school, right? We didn't have any issue with um, cyberbullying until when Facebook came out. Then we started having all these uh, police officers That's and whole new whole new lessons mm. on cyberbullying, how he needed to be careful. And back then it wasn't a, as big of a deal as it is today. Like it's incredible how big cyberbullying is today and how, yeah. how much of an influence it is in young people's lives. I see it all the time. Yeah. I, see the, I see the bullying, um, even young kids as well. Like I, I used to work with kids and I saw their faces the moment they checked their phone, their countenance just dropped 
and you could see like either it was something that one of their friends had posted about the day at how it was at school or it was to do with this world and and how the world was progressing and it just absolutely deflated them and trying to help them out trying to pick them up from that it was very hard to use my words like you were saying before so you had to show them like you had to actually smile to them yeah yeah like show show people yeah and i think that what you said was really interesting because the world is like that. The world is negative. The, the news that we hear is bad news. You know, we, ha- we don't have a good news channel. We should. <laughs> where everyone just sends in all the awesome stuff that happens. Because if I tell you, like, I'll, I'll, there's so many good things that go on. But our world, so for example, the world is bad, but our world isn't. No. And so when our world is blooming, that's, that's pretty contagious. So once we start to realize that the idea of the world is so big and so foreign um, it's so difficult for us to navigate through our own tiny little world. The, the the huge world is too big for us. And so it's really important for us to be able to navigate through safely in our world and know ourselves, know our limits, know what we can, what we can't do. That's why it's really important to have a really strong sense of moral standing. Now, when you have the teaching of evolution and the fact that we've come from some primordial soup, there's no values on morals in that either. So... It's really just, uh, you know, um, anything goes mentality. If it feels good, do it. What might be wrong to me might be right to you. Your interpretation of good and mine are totally different. We don't have a compass pointing due north. So we don't have a centre of um, of gravity or a an, something that we can actually aspire to with that belief system. So anything goes, mm. you know, um, where, where does it say you can't commit adultery? Like that's not against the law. Do you understand? So it goes against our heart. We know that. So the same with stealing and all of these things that we know. The teaching of that not only removes the human um, uniqueness, it actually removes our our moral standings and our values and what matters to us. So it's, it's a total being put in the wash and then it's come out with this thing um, that no one can really put. It's got a face and the, in, in the face of it is that Greta Thun- Thunberg, really, she's the face of what all the hate and all the hurt and all the teachings has become in representing this beautiful, beautiful little girl who I, I think she is Asperger's, um, who's just a beautiful girl who should be sitting there collecting butterflies or, you know, doing stuff, stuff to, you know, I don't she know what I was doing at 16 years old but yeah. I, I certainly wasn't being an activist. Um, become an inventor, you know, come up with a solution. We want solutions. Um, of course some things are bad and need fixing. Of course some people are, are wasteful and leave the taps running. I know that. Um, we need to be prudent. We need to look after the environment that we've been given. No one refutes that. No one is – I don't think that there's anyone out there that's bad enough to think let's just let it all go to the dogs. We don't care. We, you know, turn off the light if there's no one in that room. Hang up that towel. Mm. You know, do you really need to drain Warragamba Dam to wash your teeth? Like, <laughs> you know, like seriously, there's prudence. Teach prudence. But when you're teaching people that they're ultimately going to be the saviour of the world and condemn everyone else, um, it's 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 a pretty it's it's a pretty bad state of affairs. But I think we need a good uh, a good news channel. Here, that's an idea for you guys. Someone create a good news channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone could send in all the wonderful miracles because mm. they're, they're happening 
all the time. Imagine what that would do for people oh, if yeah. we actually had that we replace the negative mm. with the positive. Yeah. Or we just had a balance of both. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think there is enough balance yeah, in this but world. I mean, look, let's look at the news. I mean, yeah. we watch the news. It's terrible from the beginning and it's usually the worst story first, like the whatever tragedy has happened that hooked. day. But the very last story is usually the elephant getting along with a bear or mm. the new the new animal that's been born in the zoo, you know, um, which is what I – it's like it's, it's really just saying, look, the world is really bad, but look how cute this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really think that we need to be able to have a different kind of outlet. And let's use it. You've got podcasts. You guys are young. Um, you know, I'm a middle-aged person. So I wish I had that at my disposal when I was your age. You guys have got a medium. You've got a voice. You're able to, to do that. Get everyone to send you. I remember reading about a man who decided to have a confession box and what he did, got a billboard and he said, send your confessions to this address. Um he didn't think that he'd get millions upon millions and millions of people writing confessions of things anonymously that they were carrying. And um, how beautiful is that? Mm. You know, he was he, he didn't think it'd go off the way it did, thinking, you know, there, might, there needs to be an outlet, but we need to start to think about how we can better impact. And I think the good news um of, of wonderful stories of miracles that happen all the time. Um, we need to be able to hear them because that encourages us. There are some amazing people out there oh, yeah. in the world that we don't really hear enough of. Yeah, because they they're not noisy. Yeah. Yeah, they're really quiet. I think it's the part about being humble. Oh, yeah. But like as the Bible says, let another man praise thee, not yourself. Yeah. So I, I, I firmly, firmly believe that. But there's nothing bad about actually sharing it with people. That's right. And the reason why I started this um, podcast, The Story Box, is to share those stories because yeah. stories are powerful. Sure. And because they talk about what the human condition is mm. and that we can all understand and relate to that, you know, that we all as humans have our problems, we have our fears, we have our concerns, uh, we've all had loss, we've all had heartbreak, we've all been betrayed, we've all been lied to, we've all been stolen from. It's our character that's been built in that. And they're good things. They're, they're not bad things. They're bad in that moment. But mm. the more that you're refined, the more that your character builds, the more that you're able to share with the world around you, you know. And I really believe that all people have amazing ability to share. Um, I believe all people have a gifting that no one else has or ever will have. Mm. And when you find that and you believe that about each human, you, you don't know, um, you know, like, it's just it's it's so important for us to be able to just look out past ourselves, and it's easy to be humble when you remember where you've come from. <laughs> so you always have to remember. And I remember reading a story about Mr. T, who's mm. awesome, and he went to an interview with all you know. He wears a thousand necklaces, and the he had really bad shoes on, really rotten, disgusting, dirty shoes. And the the interviewer made fun of him and said, "What?" why are you wearing those shoes? Surely you could afford something. And he goes, I keep those shoes on to remind me of where I've come from. Wow. And I thought that's really, really important because every time he'd look down, he'd remember who he was and where he came from. So it's easy to look up. And um, if we look up, we're more likely to see the beauty of the world than looking down. You know, if I look down, I'll see dirt, I'll see dust, I'll see rubbish. If I look up, I'll see the birds, the clouds, the trees. So Something as different, as as easy as changing your perspective. Let's look up. 
um, that's I think that that's really really important. So how does someone get a renewed perspective on something? I think that they've got to realize that their perspective is wrong. Hmm. I think that that's the start, or at least have someone allow them to challenge that. Because usually the way that we know that something is working is if it's producing fruit, anything at all. So if I'm going to plant anything and I've done everything that it's supposed to, but I'm supposed to, but it's not growing, something has to change. So if I'm in the same job or I'm in the same relationship or I'm in the same place and nothing has grown or there's no fruit being developed in that, and and by fruit I mean character, I mean um, ability to be different, to think different, to navigate through decision-making different. If there's no fruit in that, there's something has to change. And so usually you can tell by the fruit. So we know someone has a mental health issue by their fruit. And what kind of fruit is that? You know, unable to eat, sleep, socialize. Weight loss. Weight loss, all sorts of things. So they're symptoms. So they're symptoms of, of what is inside of them. But if you meet someone that's full of life, full of joy, full of hope, full of happiness, that's the fruit of what they're digesting. So what is it that you're digesting? So what are you eating? And I'm eating emotionally. Mm. What food are you eating for it to produce this? And usually it's the people you're around or the environment that you're in and you just need to change it. So so what if someone is very, very good at hiding mm. the fact that they've got something wrong with them yeah. but they just hide it from everyone except yeah. for themselves? That's right. So you can't hide it from yourself. Mm. And so you can hide it from everyone else. You can be a really good actor, which is one of the things that I was looking at about suicides in um, really famous people. Why would they do that? You know, um, in particular, Robin Williams comes to mind. Yeah, that's who so, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah he's someone that was just amazing. At any moment he could say anything and there was never a quiet moment. He could he could fool the whole world. He did. He fooled the whole world into thinking that life is good, that he's happy, but he couldn't fool himself. And you can't fool yourself. Um, I think that you need to be honest with yourself and realize um, at this, the symptoms are going to start to show. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a vase and there's heaps of holes in the vase and you can party it up for as long as you want, there's going to be a leak. You know, and usually that leak, it comes in the form of a, a breakdown. So there's only so much the human body can take. We're designed to get rid of anything that isn't supposed to be there. So mm. if we've eaten something bad, that goes. If something's gone into our nose, that's bad, it gets sneezed out pretty quick. Something goes into our eye, that's bad, it, it gets it gets thrown out straight away, ears. So when something goes into our soul and our head, that's pretty bad, our body wants to get rid of it pretty quick. Mm. And it does come out in anger, in frustration, in violence, in, in, in lots of ways. So it does come out. You, you can't hide it. Mm. And um, like in terms of like dealing with anger, ways of actually masking that mm. or helping to cope with anger because yeah. I was a very angry person um, a while back but then I sort of realized I got angry once and then I realized at the end of that I'm end up, I end up hurting the person that I attack but I hurt myself more mm. as well. So I had to realize, look, when I'm angry, I lose control. Yep. You you can you say things that you don't really mean, and you can't get them back. So then you ha- you sort of have to 
I guess, try and fix it as yeah, best you as you can. Yeah, because you deal with guilt as yeah. well. Mm. Guilt's a very horrible thing to deal with. But when you release that and you ask for forgiveness and as a true forgiveness, there's a difference there. True. Uh, I think that one of the things that I see, especially when I'm dealing with people on a faith base, they find it very difficult to forgive themselves. Mm. You know, they can understand even that God can forgive them or they're the person they offended, but to forgive themselves, especially if it's a big offence, um, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles, um, the idea of forgiving yourself. It's pretty tough um, because even even when someone say, you know, I forgive you, it's okay, sometimes you offend people and they don't even notice. You've, you you know, you're like, oh, what? Mm. They're like, oh, I didn't know you even did that. So um, forgiving yourself as well and um, anger is a very strong emotion and its two closest companions are guilt and shame. So they're really good friends. So if you've got anger, you've got guilt and shame running really close by. So whatever it was that was making you angry as a young man, um, guilt and shame were around there too. So usually, yeah. yeah, so that's usually the engine and that's usually the energy behind it. And you've got to think, um, I was actually looking at something with my son yesterday about some really awesome English quotes. I wish I could remember who it was, but he actually said that it's not good to, um, it's not a good thing for people to have to be ashamed into admitting doing something wrong. And uh, I thought most of that is right. There is nothing wrong with admitting that you're wrong, but there's a problem with attaching shame to that mm. um, because shame stuns all growth. Did the shame sort of come from you yourself or was it come from other people when you do admit that you've done the wrong thing? Yeah. Is that kind of people think judging you? Yeah. Well, the word shame actually means that. And so when someone says to you, shame on you, it's such a curse mm -hmm. because you're saying, yeah, I'm going to throw shame on you where instead of saying you're guilty of, mm -hmm. you know, because guilty of is a little bit more palatable than shame on you. Um, but shame is from within yourself. So if you get in trouble for a crime and you're before the judge, you can't be found um, or punished for shame. You can only be punished for guilt because guilt is what's given to you by society, right? And shame is something you bring on yourself. So that's probably the easiest way to be able to see the difference between the two. But they jump between each other and they're really good friends and they're horrid. Mm. They're horrid and they just can be your constant companion for your whole life if you like or you can replace it with grace and love because they hate them. So if you can imagine like a, some sort of spiritual battle, guilt and shame runs very far away from grace and love. That's what I had to realise as well. There was me being in that sort of mindset far mm. away from God, mm. far away from what I know to be actually true Yeah. and then just allowing the devil and Satan just to bottle up inside me everything going wrong around me and yeah. it just all just snapped. Yeah, and it's really important as well. I remember that when I was studying that core of faith that it's really easy to also blame the devil. Um, from my studies, I know that he can only really be in one place at one time. He He's not omnipresent, mm. which is one of the qualities of God. He's not omniscient, which means he can't read your mind. And he's not omnipotent, which means he's not all-powerful. So he's in one place right now. So he, he, I'm pretty sure he's not after you. Like yeah. <laughs> usually when I meet people that think they're really horrendously evil, I'm pretty sure that 
he's somewhere else. I don't know where he is on earth, but I'm pretty sure that he's somewhere else. Um, but there are other forces at work and usually our own sinful nature gets us in a lot of trouble. Um, it's it really easy to say, it, it's you know, this made me do it or that made me do it. It's actually our sinful nature to be that way, that we are just inclined to want to know how a person committed suicide, mm. to want to know in a domestic violence situation how did he hit her or how did she hit him. Um, we like violence. I'm, one of my sons is going to go and watch that movie, The Joker, tonight. I'm not going to watch it. I don't watch stuff that I know is going to affect my brain. I'm not saying that anyone out there shouldn't. <laughs> I just know what I can handle. Um, you know, this is an, a, a character that's just so... He's mentally disturbed. And so mentally disturbed. And the yeah. character and the and the actors that have played him have been profoundly affected Heath Ledger. Yeah, but not just him. You know, Cesar Romero, if we look mm. back at all the other people that played the Joker um, because he is psychotic and they're glorifying someone that's psychotic. And so we're in a world that, and we love it, you know, we love it. So um, we're attracted to it. We're attracted to the violence and and the gore and the blood. I, and I don't, I, I, the Bible tells us that that comes from our sinful nature and we want to blame the devil, but it's actually a part of us that mm. is inside of us um, that, you know, is, is our enemy. So it's really our, our the cylinder that we're in, which means our body. Do you think as well, because like you're saying, the devil is not omnipresent. Mm -hmm. Do you think that he uses some of his minions? He oh, yeah. Fallen ones to I mean, I one of my favorite things that I did many, many years ago when I was on, on real fire mm. for God. And you know what that means when you first become a born-again Christian. It's like falling in love. You just can't yeah. help it. You're just telling everyone and you're driving everyone crazy. <laughs> I studied a subject called angelology, so the study of angels. Wow. Yeah, and it was a really amazing story with um, study with Ron Jarlett who just turned 80. He's an amazing teacher. And, um, and it was a study of the angel world and the angel, the way the angels, the hierarchies that they're in, the mm. levels that they, and the jobs that they have, it was just huge subject, but it actually looked at, um, Satan as well. So mm. the Satanology in there as well, the study of Satan and, um, you know, that there's, because he's not, he really runs his dominion, um, like a general, you know, and, um, he is the highest level general and we know that if, you know, for those that are Christian out there, if you've read it, um, <laughs> that a third of the angelic host were cast down in that war in heaven, um, a third. And we know that well, from calculations that that's somewhere between, they think could be up to 60 million. So they were, they were cast onto the earth with form, formless. And so that's why I'm saying that I remember looking at the hierarchy that was drawn on the board and the hierarchy showed him at the top and then, Every country has a prince. They're called princes. Um, so, and then we know that because Israel has Prince Michael, who was the exact same position as Lucifer. And then out of all those countries, there were governors in all the states and all the states. So it's really, you know, to the mayors and then the, and the mayors into to the street, to one that knows you personally. Mm. It's, it's, it's pretty scary when you start thinking about it, but it's also really powerful because when you know your enemy, um, you, you can go into battle and it's just an everyday thing. And the truth is, is that if you are with any sort of team or, um, and you know, with one of my sons who plays soccer and I will say to him, you know, if we know who the opponent is, 
you, you know who their better players are. You know where to place your defence and you know you what you need to do. Yeah. yeah, you need to learn that. You need to know how they play. And so in a way we need to know how the evil one or, um, you know, the demons or all of that what, or the evil force, whatever you want to call it, how they function so that you're able to counteract that. I think that's really important. So, Have you ever seen a demon-possessed person before? Yeah, yeah. Just actually, strangely, um, not not too long ago, mm. right here, right again in the chair that you're sitting. <laughs> <laughs> he was right there I'm and right before ground. my eyes he mm. turned into a gorilla. Like he started to walk on all fours and um, I remember just being afraid. I thought he actually walked over to that table over there and I thought he's going to pick it up and throw it at me. And he was growling and hissing and noises I've never heard come out of a human. And he's run out the door and I followed him out there and he started climbing the tree like a monkey. I've never seen anything like it ever. And his father came up to me to see if I was all right and he said, this is what he does. He said, no one can help me with my son. I don't know what it is. Um, And I'm thinking, I know what this is. Mm. But in my profession you can't say, you know, this is what this is Um, and there's no professional person that can help him. The only hope that they've got is to sedate someone like that. So when they do come across people that are very, that are like that, um, the, the only option that the medical field has is to sedate them. That's all they can do because... Um, then we start going into that branch of, you know, that really, you know, the people don't like talking about the exorcisms and all sorts of stuff. Um, but, yeah, that's a whole other avenue as well. So how come you're not allowed to, is it more or less you've got to just be standard across the whole yeah. board? You're not yeah. allowed to. I think, I, but you know what? I think that it works well because I think that Christians haven't done well Mm. in segregating themselves so i know that there was a whole generation of parents that were raising their kids to be christian doctors and christian surgeons and christian this and that and we don't need any of that we actually just need professionals who just happen to be christian which is what i am and i thought being a christian actually closes more doors and opens them let's face it um here i'm able to minister to all sorts of people because my faith isn't in question it's not about me it's about them it's not about what I believe. It's about what they believe. But part of the counselling ethos, according to the Australian Counselling Association, says that I've got to affirm the faith of my client. So if my client comes in and presents as a Christian who's struggling with their spirituality, I'm 100% able to affirm that. Um, but again, if they come in presenting that they're Muslim or they're Hindu, I have to a- affirm that as well. So thankfully, it's realising and the uh, the faith-based the the secular community is realizing we need to be able to include a spiritual dimension to what's going on here because um you know the whole idea of psychology the way that we see it obviously came from sigmund freud and carl jung and and men like that who actually saw what going into a confessional booth did to people they watched them go in and confess something to some guy and they came out feeling better so they came up with their own interpretation of that which was that lounge Mm. Do you understand? So it became a confessional booth and people were by definition coming up feeling better because they were no longer carrying that load. It was no longer their burden to bear. And so they put a Christian ethos which was very much the counsellor and the counsellor ethos really comes from a Christian 
perspective, the idea of speaking to one another to share what's going on, to be able to uh, share your burdens and to confess your sins and to help other people to do that. Um, and they've, they've taken it and made it their own. Now, so. that's, that's great. Um, I'm very mindful of your time as well. Um, I do have a few more questions. Sure. Um, do you believe that ultimately or depression and anxiety and everything like that, do you believe that trauma is part of it, like past trauma, sure. loss, all that? Yeah, because a trauma really becomes, um, it's really like, how, how can I say it that it's in an easy way? It's really like a moment in time where everything just stops mm. and then it restarts again and some things get glitched and um, that's really what it is. You know, it's really like an interrupted, it's really, strangely, it's really like having a heart attack in your head, um, in your brain. Something's happened that's so traumatic that it stops life as you know it mm. and, um, and you've been rebooted. And you've got to live with the new person that you are, with that new awareness or that, that new idea or um, that new vision that you can't get out of your head. And a trauma can be anything from a pop-up of a porn to seeing a, an assault or being physically or sexually assaulted yourself. So everyone is so different and something that might affect me might not affect you. So it's really completely subjective as well. So, but absolutely, I think a lot of root issues come from trauma, uh, childhood trauma in particular, especially when I've dealt with people that from zero to about six, if things have happened there that are very significant, uh, they go on to be lifelong issues. Things that happen from about six to about 15 or puberty, around say 13, um, they're significant as well. Um, you can still function, but they're still there. Usually traumas that happen to people in their teen years and onwards um, people are able to cope a little bit better. Mm. Um, so it really depends on uh, the age that it happened, the duration, um, and if if when you first flagged it, did anyone come to your help? Because that's usually when you first decide to share with someone what happened to you, that first, you know how they say first impressions last, that first bit of counsel will last you. Mm. for a long time so if you've not gone to the right person that in itself is a trauma too because i remember growing up all the traumas that i had before i went through or hit puberty or any, anything like that i still remember those as the most potent uh forms of trauma that i actually went yeah. through like the actual huge impacts in my and life and when you think about those traumas do they still uh, make you want to cry or because that's usually the marker people say to me how do I know that I've dealt with the trauma how do I know mm. that I'm over it and that I'm done with that how do I know and usually um, I you know because when you talk about it you can finish your sentence you know you don't have that lump in your throat or you don't cry you remember it but it's not with that same intensity or the sting that it had before mm. so that's how you know there's some recovery from it so usually when I'm talking to someone that will be you know, crying or bawling their eyes out when they're telling me about something. They're nowhere near dealing with that. But two or three years down the track, they can talk to me about that event or that loss. And it's still sad. It's not a laughing matter, but it doesn't have that same sting. So what was an open wound becomes a scar and the scar is forever there. Mm -hmm. But just like the scar I have on my hand from a major car accident, 
I remember when it happened. I remember what happened. I remember the whole thing. But when I touch the sky, it doesn't hurt. I can talk about it. But I remember it. I knew I, know, I, knew I could have died. Mm. But if I touch it, do you understand? Then that's how you know that you've dealt with a trauma because when you talk about it, you no longer feel like that. Do you believe that that made you a better person, more appreciative going through that? I don't know if it's made me a better person. I think it made me more, uh, I think it makes me a more genuine person. Mm. So when I'm talking to someone that has gone through trauma, I'm not just going through a textbook understanding of that trauma. I can seriously say, yeah, and because you're not allowed to share of yourself in the counselling session um, or even share my worldview, I... I can really relate, you know, I can, I get you. And so my, my tone of voice is different. They can sense that. It's not like, oh, I have, didn't read this in this textbook or you should be over it by now. Mm. Um, it's totally, I think that that's given me appreciation, not of my circumstance, but it helps me love deeper, I think, other people. That's great. Thank you for sharing all that. That's okay. Um, I do have few more questions so my I guess second last question would be three bits of advice that you could give a young person adult or anyone really going through uh, an issue um, depression anxiety anything really uh, that we might not know about three bits of advice that might be able to help them okay first thing if you think you're depressed you are if that jumped into your head you are Hmm. Get help straight away. Don't think about it. Don't think about what anyone's going to think about it. Um, Thankfully now I think we've come out a lot of that. So a lot of people are happy to talk about it. There's a lot of things. 70% of my clients are men. So um, men are struggling. Um, If you think you're depressed, you you probably are. There's an alarming statistic, if I can say the word, that you were sharing before. What is that statistic? Um, with regards to suicide with, with or? With regards to male suicide and even oh, yeah. suicide in general. Just this morning I saw that uh, in Australia we have uh, six young men um, commit suicide every day and 65,000 attempts in the year. We have one million people that commit suicide every year according to the World Health Organization. Um, it's massive. You know, people matter. Everyone matters. Like we, we are so concerned about recycling a plastic bottle. Seriously. Mm. Seriously. Okay, I get you. Plastic bottles, okay, they will tick you off. They tick me off too. Come on. We need to direct we, the focus Come on, towards, seriously. Yeah. If we can have activists and rallies about this, I, I will let my kids take time off school. Mm. You know, I would fund it. Seriously. But we're more concerned, seriously, about things we can do nothing about. We can do nothing about changing the temperature of the world, but we can actually change someone's life by just investing in a human, you know, investing in a human, absolutely investing in a human and expecting nothing in return. Seriously. Um, I think that that's probably one of those things that makes me really upset when I see how much money and funding is going into the wrong area, you know, invest in people. So if you think you're depressed, you probably are. Go to the doctor is a good step and doctors are really good. They've really been trained to be able to help people um, get to the help that they need. So they, they can do a mental health check on you. They will do an assessment of you. 
Um, and then they, you know, they will tell you to either go to a counsellor, psychologist, and they will give you a referral and even medication if you need to go through a trauma. Let someone else know. So let your parent or a close friend or someone else know what you're doing. Try not to keep secrets. Um, and I think that the third thing is is probably just have hope. You know, believe that there is hope. And the fact that you know that there's something wrong and you're seeking help should already be the hope enough to know that there's something better to come. Mm. So um, I think that, be, you know, to be reachable, be teachable and be lovable. Um, and with those three things you should be able to be able to change where you're at today to where you need to be. Mm, that's so true. Thank you so much for sharing that. And okay. my last, I guess, three mini questions. Sure. I ask everyone this. Yeah. What your favourite movie is, your favourite actor and a movie you've watched recently? My favourite movie is called Persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the Jane irony. Austen. And uh, I think it's got, is it, is it Kieran? Kieran Hines? Um, he's one of my favourite actors. He's Irish, I think. But I can't find this movie anywhere. I remember watching it years ago and it's one of my favourite movies. Uh, none of the actors are famous except for Sarah Hines. And I love Jane Austen. Mm. I think she's really able to write about human emotions in a way that no one else can. And that's my favourite movie. My favourite actor. Oh, can it be a female? Give me anyone. Okay, because my favourite actor, her name is I think Joan Allen. Oh, yeah, Joan Allen. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. a really obscure, quiet kind of actress, but yeah. she's awesome in every movie she's in. So she's in Face Off. She's the wife of John Travolta in that. Uh, and yeah. she's in The Born Identity and The Born Supremacy and all that. She's just this beautiful, beautiful actress. I really, really like her. And whenever she's in a movie, I watch it. So strangely, she's my favourite actress. And what was the third question? Uh, a movie you've seen recently or the last movie you watched? The last movie I watched was Groundhog Day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good movie and let me tell you, it's so strange that I'm dealing with some some younger kids who are struggling with um, depression mm. and they're stuck in a rut. They're constantly doing the same thing like I started earlier on, waking up at the same time, meeting the same people, saying the same thing, eating the same sandwich. And Groundhog Day really just brought how he was able to realise that he was stuck in this rut but decided to learn something new every day. And I really enjoyed that movie. So that's wow. my three answers to your mini questions. Awesome. And I guess what's next going forward for you? For me, oh, my gosh, okay. Um, I'm always excited about what's what could be coming. So I've decided because I used to not like surprises very much. Mm. I really was a little bit, not say controlling, but I like to know what was going to go on. Um, leaving myself open to... Um, what could happen, the possibilities. So leaving a day open in my week for whatever comes up. So if a friend says let's have coffee or do something different or go shopping for myself, which I rarely do um, with six children. So um, I've decided that I'm going to leave a day open for just whatever could happen. And I'm very sure of the fact that sometimes nothing will happen mm. but just allowing there to be a day that I have no control over. So I'm excited about doing that. So that's something I came back from America with thinking, oh, that's something I'm going to implement to my life, see <laughs> how that travel goes. Travel also helps people yeah. have new perspectives on yeah. life. And yeah. Yeah. It's just well, it just it actually surprises me, um, you know, the feeling of well, coming home. It's mm. That's odd because um, I wasn't born here. I came here when I was very small and then 
And then I've been traveling a lot in the last year. I've been very blessed. Lots of frequent flyer points, people. So <laughs> use them. I'm not kidding that you even get upgrades. So um, I've traveled quite a lot this year. Um, but just the coming home, I think. And every time I'm flying in, it's not funny. I think of Peter Allen's song. Is it Peter Allen? Is it Peter Allen that sings that song? I still call Australia home. I think so. Yeah. Well, that's it's so funny. Every time I'm flying in, I just I just sing of that song. I want to break out in a song on the plane, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> You're reserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've got my kids with me. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. I would like to get you on later on because mm. I feel like there is so much more we can actually discuss and talk about. Yeah, like great. We were going to go. I was going to ask in regards to the pornography section because yeah. I believe that is another big issue in, in society. And uh, not well. just for men. Not just for men. I for know. For women as well. Big. For all, yeah, all. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that would be great to have you on to talk yeah. about that again. Great. Um, and then other things as well. So yeah. I'll great. Elaborate, elaborate more on that later. But thank you so much once again. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a privilege. I've never done anything like this, like I said earlier. So I hope that we can do some more. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thank you so much, Maria, for coming on and sharing your words of wisdom to us and, and passing on all that knowledge as well. So what did you guys think? Did you guys get something out of it? I hope you guys did. Uh, honestly, um, I do this podcast because I want to help people as best I possibly can. And having a podcast and bringing these kinds of people on that have all these stories that they're able to share with you guys, that encourages me, but I hope it encourages you and hope you guys are able to learn and get something out of it as well. So uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Don't forget, honestly, like I... I would love for you guys to actually share it out, leave a rating if you got something out of it. Only if you got something out of it. I'm not going to tell you to just go and do it in the first place because I told you to. But only if you got something out of it, please leave a, a rating or a review. Uh, share it out to as many people as you can. In today's world of social media, you can share it to pretty much anyone you know. Uh, anyone's got uh, Android or or, um, or Apple device, so you're able to, to spread it um, to pretty much anyone really these days, which is an amazing and powerful tool. So spread the word of the story box out there. Let people know that we are bringing on amazing guests from all walks of life that are going to inspire, challenge and educate and, and motivate anyone that really listens because that's what stories do. And I don't think there's not one of you out there that didn't get um, challenged or motivated by hearing Maria Serena's uh, stories today. So um, until next time and next week, I guarantee you're going to have another exciting guest uh, coming on the show as well, sharing some of their stories. So until that time, everyone, don't forget to share your own story. Okay, everyone, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.